Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Steph Woolard, I'm beside myself with excitement to have you as a guest on the She's the Boss podcast. Apart from anything else, as I mentioned to you before we started, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who's got an Order of Australia medal, but I know I'm jumping ahead a bit. Um, Why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody what it is that you do? Thanks so much, Jules, for having me. Um, I am the founder of an organisation called Seven Women and a tour company taking Nepal's uh, taking tours to Nepal called Hands On Development. And Seven Women uh, has been the last 15 years of my life. I founded it when I was 22 and travelling wow. in Nepal. And um, and now it's it's so it's basically an organisation that educates um, upskills and creates jobs for disabled and marginalised women in Nepal. Wow, that is impressive, and I happen to absolutely love India. I've only been a couple of times, but my dad was born there, and my grandparents lived there for 35 years. So I just love it over there. So talk to me about why did you set it up? What's the reason for it? So, well, it was a surprise to me, actually, because I was over in Nepal and it was, yeah, it was kind of this quest that I had since I was very young to make a difference. I had that, you know, um, flame in my belly, like a lot of people do, to make a difference uh, through their work, through their, you know, their life's work. So that took me to Nepal because I felt like, you know, to be able to make a difference, I need to understand the world a little bit more and poverty and social issues and things like that. So that took me on a trip to Nepal and uh, I went back then as a leader for the Duke of Edinburgh tours. So I was bringing groups of architects from Australia over to Nepal to help the communities build these structures. And that got me very interested in how we as uh, foreign people to a developing country help to make a difference in a, in a real and lasting um, sustainable way. And so anyway, I came across on that trip, the group had gone home and I stayed on for a couple of weeks and I was walking down one of the back streets of Kathmandu, um, tiny, narrow little street. And I saw ahead of me a woman who was very um, obviously physically disabled and struggling to carry two heavy bags. And she, um, she ducked into a tin shed and I kind of being my curious self. <laughs> uh, followed her in. <laughs> followed her in and saw that there were six other physically disabled women who were, uh, it appeared to me, living and operating out of this tin shed. So that's, that's how it began. But I think what ignited me into action immediately was hearing the stories of struggle that these women had, had faced and they, the beliefs, you know, that the stigma that society held yes. about them being disabled, which was really, um, you know, limiting them and putting a, putting a lid on their potential, which is what, you know, the injustice of that, I think, and, and knowing human potential and what we are, who we all are and what we're capable of made me think, you know, how can I, how can I help these women? Wow. So let me wind you back because why did you go over there at the first place? Was it a holiday that you were doing sort of you know, a curious holiday, obviously, but it was it sort of exploring the world the first time? Yeah, exploring the world and trying, I wanted to understand, you know, how I could make a difference and I wanted to have a bit of lived experience before I figured out, you know, what that might look like for me. 
And so did you just go to India? Did you just go up to Nepal or did you go anywhere else? I just went to Nepal. Actually, it was, um, I was asking at the time a lot of family, friends and, you know, whoever, does anyone know an organization that takes volunteer trips to Nepal? And it was a, a family friend of ours who's a magistrate who was over for dinner at our house. And he said, I'll put you in contact with a friend of mine who works for, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh and they lead trips to Nepal. So, uh, yeah, so that's how I kind of heard initially about the trip and I just thought this is amazing. And I actually had a feeling, like a gut feeling, that this would be a life-changing thing for me. I'm getting prickles on the back of my neck as you're talking about that, actually. It's funny, isn't it? So so you, you were – everyone else went and you decided to stick around for a couple of weeks and you're walking down that little laneway. And my experience of, of beggars in, in India a lot, or a lot of people in poverty is that families basically push them out on the streets and make them beggars because that, you know, and, and I actually was in India a couple of years ago with my boyfriend who was only born with one hand. And it was funny, the beggars would come up, take a look at his hand and walk away again, like, oh, he's onto us or something. It was really wow. strange. So, so that obviously was a bit of a light bulb moment for you. But what do you do when you see seven women? that really need help and that are obviously, um, you know, need opportunities to be opened up for them. How does that turn into a business? So what was the next move after that, other than probably going back and going, I've got to do something? Called my mum <laughs> back in <laughs> Melbourne. Um, I remember walking to the nearest internet cafe because I was quite overwhelmed with, um, you know, what I saw and I really, you know, the question that we all ask ourselves, can one person make a difference? So I remember telling mum that I just met these women. I had about 200 bucks left, you know, as a student before I went back to Australia. And I actually asked mum on the phone, I remember saying to her, do you think I can make a difference? Do you think one person can make a difference? Because it was just enormous, you know, like taking on these seven women and I wanted it to be sustainable for them I wanted them to have bright futures and to really help them break out of the shackles of society so, so what sort of ages were they I mean were they young women so yeah there, there was a few um probably around my age at the time was 22 and oh, right. then there were kind of older women as well there was you know 50s uh, one was in her 50s and the other one was in her 60s so it was a, a mix a collection of these seven women that had come from different remote village areas and some oh, right. There was a woman called Sangeeta who spoke broken English and that's how I was able to hear their stories who'd collected these women together. Right. So was the first plan just to help these seven women? Was yeah. that sort of the initial was? And what did you think you could do? I assume your mum said, yes, you can make a difference. Yeah, mum said you'll be able to make a small difference and we'll support you, you know, go for it. So uh, I'm not sure if she realised how much support she'd need to give me over the <laughs> next decade. Uh, but so... Yeah, so, so what's the first thing what you do when you see, I mean, you know, I, I've certainly seen them in India and I've seen them in Jamaica and thought, I want to change their lives, mm. but I haven't known how to. So what did you do? Yeah, so I I just kind of revisited the tin shed every day and, and discussed with the women what we could do with the $200. And I'd, I'd had the um, the benefit of visiting a few different charities and seeing a few different ways in which people were trying to make a change and and 
very um, clearly understanding that the handout doesn't make a difference, you know, the traditional charity model that is give stuff for free, um, but the yeah. ones that were building people's capacity and empowering people was the way to go. So I wanted to use that $200 even though it was a tiny amount in a way that would build the women's skills. So the first goal was really to uh, provide them with proper bedding and a proper place for them to live. Because Wow, just such a small thing, isn't it? Just to give them something thing. so they're not sleeping on the ground. Such a basic thing. And um, I just thought, you know, how can anyone have a good self-esteem if they're living in such um, squalor like that? So that was the first goal and the $200 paid for two trainers to come and train them in skills. And then oh, brilliant. I, then I kind of packed them in my suitcase and took off back home to sell them and raise the first bit of money. Oh, so that's how you did it. So they... So, yeah, so explain to me. Sorry, I was about to guess, but how about you just tell me? So what were you training them in? Because I, I actually worked with a brand in Dharam Salah that was an Australian woman who'd gone over with Care Australia when she was 19, um, was given a $5,000 grant by her parents or a loan and has taken refugees from um, Kashmir, I think, trained them in how to be tailors and then has started a, a clothing brand in Australia using the, and it's all fair trade and whatever. So I'm incredibly inspired by all of you women, but I just, I mean, I can see that's a great start. But so what did you do from there? Like you, you've helped these women get beds and you've taught them what to do handcraft kind of things, was it? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, it was just what can we do? What's the first step? So I think anyone who's listening and who's a, a founder or created their own business or thinking of it, it's just about what's the first step. Yes. So the $200 paid for two trainers and that they made some products and initially, you know, having no business background or understanding of what was a- about to eventuate, <laughs> um, I thought the women can just make their own designs and I'll take them back and they'll sell like hotcakes, you know, because right. I, I just was in love with the women and in, in love with the, the fact that they could hand make these beautiful products. So I packed them in my suitcase. And... Can I just ask, sorry, what sort of products were they though? Oh, sorry, they were knitted. So a lot of the women know how to knit because they have a very cold winter months in Nepal. So we yeah. went with the knitting and we bought some wool and they made, you know, fluorescent yellow knitted bags. And I remember a hot pink poncho with big pom-poms down the front and you know, their own designs basically. Yeah. And then, and, and so you brought them back and what happened? So it was um, a bit of an epic fail to begin with because I had my first fundraiser and I invited, you know, the family and friends around and told them the story and had the products beautifully laid out in my parents' lounge room where I was, you know, living at the time. And yeah, uh, yeah everyone kind of left ha- having a great night but and said, you know, happy to donate but keep the products. <laughs> uh, so, um, so basically I was left with the products and I thought, that's very strange. You know, how come they, you know, didn't like the product? So I then took them to my university, La Trobe, at the time where we set up a, a market stall. And yeah. um, basically the same thing happened. We, you know, I recruited my first two followers, my classmates and um, my my volunteers. And, yeah, felt very sorry for them. And I think they felt very sorry for me because we stood there from nine till five and didn't sell a thing. Did so, you get donations still though? No, we didn't even get a donation. Oh, God. <laughs> I guess when, when you describe hot pink ponchos and um, yeah, fluorescent yellow bags, you can kind of see, but still, <laughs> must have been heartbreaking. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that really kind of, you know, when, when you've got a challenge and when you're passionate about an idea, 
I think I was reflecting the other day uh, because I'm I'm just in the middle of creating you know the next big venture that I'm about to throw myself into and um, you know naturally sometimes there's thoughts or doubts or you know limiting beliefs or whatever that that come across that that you know interfere with the the mind and um, so I was reflecting back to the start of Seven Women because I actually don't remember having many of those apart from one period of time where I kind of thought oh my god I've got like that many volunteers following this vision what if it like what if it is a (laughs) what if it goes nowhere kind of thing because every step of the way you don't know what's going to happen you know and I was dealing with a developing country and so many challenges coming you know all the time and um, so how how many followers have you got now like how what did you what have you built it up to and is and what are you doing now as how how the business has developed yeah um yeah I probably don't like the word followers I shouldn't have used that word it's more um yeah, more just volunteers yeah volunteers and just incredible people that have you know seen seen the vision and wanted to support so want to be part of it um we've probably had you know um I haven't really kept um kept count but there's been hundreds over the 15 years that have come through oh right at you know given their skills a lot of different interns you know basically anyone who ever wanted to volunteer uh, I made a task or a role for them because that's another way, you know, I think drawing out human potential. If someone wants to volunteer and give yes. some of these young people, you know, I really want to create a platform or a space for them to actually feel that feeling of giving and contributing to something larger than themselves. So, um, that's, so we've had a lot of volunteers and then in Nepal, there's been, um, about nearly about 6,000 women now that have been educated, trained and employed. Oh my giddy aunt Steph, that is amazing! <laughs> six thousand from six from seven women. Yeah, yeah, that is incredible. So, can you tell me the the journey then, how that happened? So, from when you first came back and and your disaster of a fundraiser, to what you're doing now. Yeah, so we had to, I had to then kind of started googling madly products that I thought might be a better suit for the Australian market, and so you know these hand puppets and different things came up online and. You know, even at the time, looking back now, it's it's really funny because it never crossed my mind that we were copying another person's product. You know, the whole concept of IP and things like that. Yeah, I was well, that hadn't crossed my mind till you just mentioned it. No, I was just desperate to find these you know basic products that the women could make with their basic skill level at the time. So the products were yeah, we started off with the hand puppets, and then there were a lot of different complications and challenges that came with them. Cargo loads of products that um. You know, I had these cockatoo hand puppets that um, I sat, went to Nepal and I sat down with the, the women and created the colour charts with the felt and, you know, made the puppets with them. I literally got the, like, the felt sheets in my hotel room and I was chopping out the hand puppets and I thought, if I can make these, so can the women. You know, I can teach yeah. them how to do it. So um, I ran out of time for the cockatoo hand puppet because it was a bit more complex, you know, with the crest and everything. So I took that home, thought I'd make it at home, sent them a photo back of the cockatoo and when the cargo arrived a couple of months later, I opened the box and there were 200 uh, cockatoo hand puppets all beakless missing their beaks oh no so that was um yeah that was a what little is bit a cockatoo of... without a beak what does it look like you weren't able to sort of go oh this is intentional these are i don't <laughs> no. know go- ghosts with yellow bits on the top <laughs> no i think you know when when challenges like that come it's like you you have to be very resourceful i think all 
kind of business owners and things. So at the time I just thought, you know, what can we do about this? And I had a friend of mine who'd come on one of my tours and she was a grade six, six school teacher. And I uh, gave her a call and basically begged her to make it a class project for her grade sixes to make the beaks. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. So what a great solution. So, um, so what do you do? So what is it now? What is seven women now? Okay, so fast track, you know, that, that was a manufacturing business that probably took about four years to get off the ground. I really wanted yeah. to wholesale the products to shops because it wasn't really about profit for us. It was about turnover and de- creating demand in Nepal because we had a lot of women coming to the door every day, you know, when the word started to spread, asking for op- an opportunity to work. And were so, all of them disabled? Have you had a focus on disabled women? Lots of them with dis- were disabled, but um, more and more, start, you know, marginalised women, single mothers, domestic violence, you know, yep. all that sort of stuff. So Widows, that's another one in India that's, that they get quite ostracised, isn't it? Mm, exactly, yeah. So that became, you know, we, we were wholesaling to about 200 shops and then at about the six, seven-year mark, uh, you know, the selling the products was um, – never really a passion of mine. So I always managed to get the volunteers, you know, doing the picking and packing, people that didn't mind doing that job to do that. And my mum was, you know, like an absolute hero in, in helping with that side of seven women. Right. So um, I was all, I always had in mind that we would only do that until we could make it more sustainable in Nepal. So then we started to think about how we could make it sustainable in Nepal, um, and we thought the tourist market, you know, is is a massive market. So we we started to focus all of our um, the, the enterprises, the manufacturing business, and this cooking school that we thought we could um, create cooking classes for Great idea. that were looking for a more meaningful experience, you know, and to make an impact when they travel. So we did that. We start, started with you know using my groups as guinea pigs to see how they liked it and how we could improve them and. Then we reached out to, you know, Intrepid and World Challenge and the bigger companies and they um, they started to bring all of their groups. So then we outgrew the kitchens at the centre right. and we had, we, we had this um, shed at the back of our headquarters and we asked the landlord, could we renovate that and transform it into a cooking school? Uh, and it was only $100 rent a month, so we were like, bargain. So we, we did a big fundraiser, raised money for that, made it into a cooking school and yeah, it just it just really grew from there. We started to get groups from um, all over the world coming and doing the. Oh, okay. Houses. So I thought you were actually taking people there, but you were just part of the you know for the other groups that are coming. Send them to us. We'll teach them and you know fundraise at the same time. Yeah, well, with my tour company, Hands On Development, there's about there was about fifteen tours a year that we would bring. So they were like, so so. Hang on, let go back a bit. What is Hands On? Tell us when when did that eventuate, and what's that part of it? Okay, sure. So after the um, about around the time of the cooking school, um, I was you know I was a volunteer building seven women for eleven years as well. I was doing other odd jobs for an income. So yeah. I was at a bit of a stage where I was thinking. Um, do I go and get a job and continue seven women on the side or do I create something to to create an income for myself? So the tours were really um, that for me to create an income, but also I saw, you know, incredible value in bringing people over to Nepal to support the charity, but also to have amazing life experiences, you know, personal growth, all that sort of stuff. 
So that that started in 2012 then. Um, Seven Women started 2006, the tours and the cooking school around 2012. And, um, yeah, so they grew from there. So I had my own tour groups about 15 a year with high school students, um, universities, so the new Colombo plan. Hang on a minute, 15 a year, what are you doing? How long are you taking them for, a week? So two weeks, uh, sorry, 10, 10 days they were, the university tours were So what you, were, were you weeks. literally coming home, high-fiving your mum and then packing your bag and leaving the next day? <laughs> yeah, well, I've been, um, <laughs> been travelling a lot, a lot. So um, Until now and the lockdown, so yeah. how's that affecting you and the business? Yeah, so I, I, the lockdown, I've actually, um, like absolutely loving it and hatching a new plan. I'm absolutely loving this period of time. And I think a lot of people just reflect and and think. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow on my show because I think it's such a good time right now to fire off ideas, do research, start things because. What, why not? So are we? Are you allowed to tell us what the next thing is or not yet? Yeah, sure. So Tell me. Yeah, so um, so just to finish up the seven women, yeah, it's the sorry, manufacturing Bob. business, the cooking school, the, the tour company, and then we just launched a guest house in Kathmandu in Feb. So that's right. kind of seven women wrapped up to date, um, you know, 15 years later. And so, who, who's, hang on, who's running the guest house and things now? So do you, there's, do you put there's 22 kind of managers management staff over or? there. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, so that bit's wrapped up. Now you can go on. <laughs> <laughs> so the new, I've had a really big desire and urge to, you know, unite people together to amplify the change that can be created. And, you know, we've all got these God-given gifts and talents that I feel like we are supposed to be expressions of into the world. So yeah, uh, I think we, you know, we can help each other a lot more through collaborating and getting rid of the old paradigms of competition and, you know, yes, even comparing yes, ourselves yes. to others, you know, it's just a useless exercise and activity to do. There's enough people out there for everybody's idea, you know, for every right. business to succeed. So um, I love the way you think. Ah, oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. So that that's kind of, um, that's my new um, why. And I've had the privilege of flying around the world, sharing the seven women's story on many different stages over the past kind of three, four years and met the most incredibly inspiring people. And so that has really, it started with me kind of connecting people and then wanting to, I suppose, create a platform now to formalize it a bit and facilitate those connections uh, for co-creation, you know, of the new world that we want to love bring, it. Bring yes, into being. there is a new world coming. Yeah. Right. So the platform is is the new thing. So um, now I have to wind you back because you didn't even mention that you were flying around the world speaking. So what? How did that happen? And what have you been doing there? So I think I think just you know with so many international visitors coming to the centre and doing the cooking classes and and seeing our work and seeing the impacts on the women. And the transformation, um, opportunities started to come where I would be asked to speak, uh, in different countries and at different events. So okay. that had a bit of a snowball effect because, you know, when you speak at one conference, you, you, you know, people hear you and you go. I do, one. but I also know what it's like the first time. And if you are a student who's incredibly passionate and has set up this business, did you absolutely die of fear at first doing some of those talks or were you like, no, nah, this is what I know? And it's fine for me to get up in front of a whole lot of people and and tell them about it. Yeah, I did. I was very, very nervous for a lot of them in the beginning. And um, my mum, you know, always 
used to just say, just be yourself, you know, and um, yeah. I don't know. Great advice. It is, isn't it? Because if you, yeah. I mean, you've got nothing to, you don't have to perform, so there's nothing to be nervous about and you're just sharing your story. So nobody, you know, it would be different if I was getting up there and um, talking about someone's research that, that you know, someone, someone else's research or statistics. Yeah. But it's, I think it's when you're, it's your story. You are the expert and the master of your own life and your story. So you can just share that freely. Yes. Oh, I just love the way you think. Okay. So my next question for you is tell me about some of the women that have helped you along the way, if there are any, because with a name like Seven Women, obviously I'm like, woohoo, love the name of the business. Um, but, and also this is there for, this is about females and it's about women in business. And I don't think we get enough of a spotlight on women in business anyway. So I always ask the question, are there any women you want to do a shout out that have made a difference in your entrepreneurial journey? Mm. Uh, a lot of women have, and I, I always feel very humbled and grateful for people that uh, with their own platform and what they can, their resources, they support, you know, so there's a woman um, called Louise Mailer. Who you may have I heard know of. Louise Marla. Do she's, she's done a podcast episode. Oh, amazing. I was going to suggest her for one. So uh, she, she. What did she do? She does vocal training and helps yes. people present. So she, um, she has helped me kind of structure my talks. And every now and again, you know, when I've got a very big talk, like the one I did at the UN, that I was really kind of feeling a little bit like I've got to get this right because it was a. So, you know, I'd call her from random countries and say, can I just talk you through the intro or, you know, so she's got a a format that she suggests. And so she's been incredible and emceed some of our fundraisers as well. Oh, that's such a wonderful story. I had didn't know that about Louise. So that's amazing. Yeah, she's been incredibly generous with her time. And um, uh, yeah, we've become great friends, which is fantastic as well. Um, Yeah. And and a few others, I think... um, you know, a woman called Heather Yelland, who's quite similar. And then uh, there's a, probably one of the most inspiring people I've ever met, a woman called Susan Morris, who is Irish by background, uh, lives right. in Denver and has a company in Belize. And she discovered oil in Belize. Her background is a geologist. Wow. So the, the reason um, she, she's a walking, living, breathing example of someone who wants the best for everybody. And she led me to uh, a seminar which changed my life and completely transformed. It was the missing link for me. And um, What was it? Tell us all. <laughs> so it's it, it basically, it, so it's called Educo, the seminar, but it, it t- teaches you, I'll just preframe it by saying um, I went to Sweden to do a master's in 2013 to 15 and I really did that masters because I had a mentor, um, Nick Fairfax mentored me for a while and he uh, was incredibly generous with his contacts and he introduced me to one of his contacts that worked for UNICEF and he uh, advised me to get a masters and to do it sooner rather than later. So I, um, clever. Yeah. So I did the masters in Sweden in peace and conflict research because at the time I was wondering, you know, what the future would hold and where I could make even more of a difference. And uh, my granny passed away uh, during that period of time and I kind of had this, um, you know, I was in, in grief basically you know, after she passed away and I'd lost my mojo a little bit and my flow and, um, you know, that life force and energy and I was seeking, you know, I was asking, show me how to get that back. Yeah. Uh, and I was speaking at a conference in Canada, Edmonton, 
And it was like I was going to fly all the way over there, stay for two days and fly home. And it was November and I was knackered. And (laughs) I just thought, oh, my God, is it too late to cancel? And I thought there's no way I can cancel. So I went there and I I understand now why that was meant to be because I met Susan and it led me to the most extraordinary experience I've ever had. So basically the seminar um, is, yeah, 10 days. She she mentioned it because – it led her to the oil discovery through connecting right. with her intuition. And and um, she says it was, you know, it, oil given by God. She was literally led to the spot after 50 years of oil companies drilling, you know, for oil. And the government had almost given up. And she was like, amazing oil. So, yeah, she's been written up in Forbes. I'll, I'll send you the Wow. But um, so anyway, the seminar, I just thought, you know, I want what she's got because I know that that's been me up until this point. And so I went to the seminar that she briefly mentioned in her talk and it was just a complete connection and the missing link for me about, you know, the understanding of why we're here, what our purpose is, what our path is as individuals, what we're here to do. And the the inner peace that that brings is absolutely priceless. Like I would have just given every last cent for that. Um, Isn't that amazing? Incredible. So, you know, it was all about, it was basically uh, Dr. Tony Quinn who runs that seminar. He has spent his whole life, uh, you know, had that connection himself, but trying to figure out the steps of uh, how to connect others, you know, without having to rely on an interpreter, basically, because he's had that connection. So he's he's wanted to um, make it really simple for people to make their own connection because that's the way it's meant to be. Like we are that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we're social beings. I mean, you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it was basically, you know, clearing the mind, getting into the the present. He's t- termed a, um, a, coined a term called unconscious attention, which is, you know, when your mind is 100% clear and you can tap into that those messages that come through and that that life force in a in a way that you know you haven't experienced before and that's when we we start to see our path so um he's he's all about the kind of freeing up the energy and life force but what he does is unlike any other person you know completely next level I've done a lot of courses yeah. and things but um this was like you know total next level I felt like my search was over you know I feel like I've wow been, that is so profound it, is, it seriously is um because I've been like one of those restless souls seeking for truth you know where, where do I find truth traveling here traveling there and this was just like this is it and my life has um skyrocketed since since that my mum and dad have done it since and my sister's done it and a number of different friends wow so um, what is it again? Just say it clearly so that if anyone wants to go and join it, they can. Sure. It's called Educo, E-D-U-C-O, and um, it's held in the Bahamas every year. Wow, Bahamas too. Very nice. Oh, my God, you are. Honestly, I mean, I do say all the women that I speak to are inspiring, but you are on a whole other level. So talk to me about the Order of Australia and going to the UN and how all, and how those sorts of things have happened for you. So and, I re- and what they've done for you, I guess. Okay, sure, yeah. I'm also, well, yeah. So, a very at a very pivotal point in my life, which was when I came back from Sweden and I was in grief and I was feeling off track and whatever. I did the the seminar and all of these things started to fall into place for me. So that the, we won the award at the United Nations for responsible business. That came out of nowhere, and it was at a time where I was thinking. 
know, I was almost, you know, deviating from my path, you know, having a bit of that sort of a stage yeah. uh, where I was thinking, you know, do, I, I had this feeling of lack, like maybe because I haven't had a corporate job ever because I've always run my own show. Maybe there's skills that I'm not um, realizing but, but that I'm missing. So maybe I should right. kind of go and work and then if I want to come back and do my own thing. So I was doing that thing for a while and asking people, did they know any jobs and, you know, to keep me in mind. And there were a lot of people that were rallying to kind of send me different links and stuff at that time for jobs and none, no doors were opening, which to me is a sign that, you know, it, yep. it's not for you. But yep. I was so persistent. I thought, well, I, I really want this experience. And so I asked four different businesses if they would allow me to shadow their executives for a week, uh, in a few different consulting companies. And, um, you know, NAS was one of them, which I was really grateful for. Uh, and they said yes. I didn't even know if that was a thing. <laughs> they said yes. I don't think it is a thing. I think you made it up. <laughs> so when I asked uh, one of them, they said, oh, I've never heard of that before. And I no, thought, oh. I don't think it's a thing. I think you made it up, but I think it's a good idea. <laughs> so that was just incredible. And I wish it was a thing because I think, yes. you know, if people can have that lived experience. But anyway, at the end of those four different um experiences I realized that actually like I did actually have all I needed to know it just wasn't I didn't equate it with the buzzwords and things that you know all the terminology that's used I thought it was something different so um I yeah it was quite that was quite empowering to do that and at the same time as that was happening I was being shown my path I was I was I got with the award at the UN came from nowhere um when you say from nowhere did someone nominate you yeah <laughs> and so it literally came out of nowhere you just got an email saying you know yeah or a letter saying by the way would you like to come and talk at the UN <laughs> yeah yeah so there were a group I think that nominated that it was a um it was a rotary uh international um initiative kind of that they would nominate yeah. people and right. in partnership with the UN yeah so uh, that and then an award in Bahrain also just by someone who had seen me um, talk in Taiwan had nominated me for this award in Bahrain. Amazing. So next thing I was off to Bahrain. <laughs> to, <laughs> As and, you do. <laughs> and it was just like it was so I think the more random things are, the more you know, you know, God is it's at work right. or life is, life is, you know, working and showing you the way. So next minute I was in Bahrain and um, having this high level tour, meeting the governor, meeting, you know, all these people. And um, it was a, an incredible learning experience at the same time as just flying there to receive the award. And then, um, yeah, so there are a number of others, you know, in, in India and then Estonia uh, was another one that, you know, so off to Estonia. <laughs> Talk about making your mark on the world, even countries that people hardly know anything about and nominating you. Yeah, and, and the countries that I didn't know much about either at the time. <laughs> um, so that, you know, what came from that was a lot of uh, different opportunities and more opportunities to speak and share the message and, you know, really. Did you also find that there were corporates who started to understand what you were doing and wanted to donate or wanted to help? Did you get that kind of financial kind of help starting to come through then as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. And that was, that was fantastic. And also, you know, the speaker fees, I've donated them to seven women. So it was a great fundraiser. Every time I speak, it's another chunk of money that gets donated. So 
Yeah, that was fantastic. amazing. So, talk to me about an Order of Australia because I don't think I know anyone who's got one, and I certainly have assumed that. And nobody else can see you because this is a podcast, and you're really very young. So, I'm quite surprised that um, that you know that you've won an Order of Australia. So, tell me what it was like, and how did it even happen? And were you the youngest? <laughs> and I'll stop asking questions now. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think I was one of the youngest. There are a few other young people at the day at Government House in Victoria that you, you kind of go and you're called up onto the stage to receive it. Um, it sounded like a very long process. I wasn't aware that it was happening, but a few people got together and I think it took them about two years because it's very um, in-depth. You've got to really know that the person is the real deal and coming from that authentic space of really wanting to make a difference. So that's, you know, how it was explained to me afterwards. But um, well, they they tick, you tick all the right boxes for that, that's for sure. Oh, thanks, Jules. Um, my mum even managed to keep it from me. So um, she was involved in, you know, because she was questioned about what, how I, you know, what was I like as a child and growing up. And so it sounded quite in depth, but um for me, your mum. Can I just say, your mum is a hero. She she is popping up all the way through this story. She yeah. is so amazing, yeah. isn't she? Yeah, and um, and my dad as well has been an incredible role model. He's got a successful business and always, you know, stuck to his truth and spoken his truth and and given very generously to his staff. So that was for me, my brother and sister. You know, having that as a role model that you can be successful and you know full of integrity was. An, an incredible um example as well yeah so yeah with so with the order of australia i um i saw it as a you know a call call to action that this is you know, life's giving you this platform to be able to share more so that was i think you know with any award it comes with that responsibility to really share the good stuff and the positive energy and you know now that i feel I feel like I've been given the key to life when I when I did that seminar because that for me was the the missing link and I feel like now I just want to get out there and and share it you know and share share you know the opportunity to do the seminar because I can't do what Tony does for people yeah. you know and I, I don't want I'm not trying to either because he No well you've certainly endorsed him hugely in this like oh my god I'm going to go and find out about it as well but it sounds incredible Yeah yeah and I think you know anything that is so powerful in the truth um can have a bit of you know slack as well or you know lots of different opinions online and things so I, I know before I went I was um you know kind of looking looking online and things but it's just I mean you got to look at the results and the yeah it's it's just been absolutely mind-blowing incredible and so I want to share that with others because since that you know my energy it's like a bottomless pit and I think it's like that for everybody you know I'm no different to anybody and that's the whole thing like we all have that incredible um life force and energy inside of us and we it's almost like we have to express that out into the world to return the world to what it's meant to be because it's all the systems and structures and conditioning and crap that we that we stick yes. over that and and cover it you know is almost like um it's too heavy on it so when we can remove all those barriers and I think a lot of people are doing this work at the moment because I'm seeing yes, it everywhere which is incredible uh, because that is the shift that the world needs. It's about it's about the energy. You know, you can take actions and you can share words and things like that. But you know, for anyone that is maybe not into 
the energy stuff or familiar with it, it's as simple as being around someone who makes you lifts your spirits. You know, it makes you feel good. Makes you feel good, and that's it. And that energy, when combined with others, and that's I suppose the future vision for what I really want to create now going forward is combining that level of energy together to really bring into the world what what we are meant to be as humans, which is to live in our full self-expression. Whoa, that you are so right. I'm just wondering whether you want to become prime minister because I'd vote for you. <laughs> you are incredible. All right. Um, so I don't even know. The questions I'm going to ask you sound really trivial now, but in terms, well, no, I was going to ask how you juggle work and life, but I can tell you your work is your life. And so there's probably no real delineation, but what are you going to do now? So travel has been stopped since March. Thank goodness you set up that um, guest house in February um, and you've got people running it there, but you're, I don't want to say trapped, but you're confined. So what are you going to do if we, if you can't travel for another 18 months well, or another year? At the moment, I am uh, actively seeking and putting it out there energetically as well to attract soul tribe, to attract people that this message resonates with, to come together, you know, and be part of what's being created. Because I feel like what what I'm creating at the moment is not my idea. You know, it's coming from a, a, a greater place, and it's it's meant to happen and to be birthed into the world. So that's what I'm creating, and and it really doesn't matter, you know, whether I'm here in one place or over because it's going to be an online coming together initially I think and then hopefully in person you know down the track but the nature of it being global it almost is working in my favor to be you know because it's it's yeah true because it does give you that access you know to be and also well I was going to say good internet but probably get better internet in India but anyway (laughs) um (laughs) um so, uh, okay, I, I, you keep, I keep thinking of things and then I stop. Um, what? So moving forward, if people want to be involved with what you're doing, what's the best way for them to get hold of you or to get a, get connected? Uh, so probably social media, just a, a message, you know, private message on Facebook or LinkedIn um, as well. Um, and, yeah, and, and my email, you know, I can give that as well. I'm, I'm very, I'm totally up for being contacted because I want to share this. You know, I've got that energy of, of wanting to share, um, everything going forward. And we've got, um, we've got a documentary that's just been made about, um, well, it's really about drawing out the potential in others. I mean, that's the vision of seven women. It always was. It, I just happened to stumble across the women in Nepal, which, um, it became about empowering women in Nepal, but whether it's the volunteers or the women in Nepal, it's about, um, you know, honoring that ability that everyone has and how can we like a big symphony, you know, play together yes. and create a masterpiece. So, um, Oh, I love it. So, okay. So Stephanie, so you're Stephanie Woolard on LinkedIn, just for anyone who knows, OAM. What are you on, on Facebook? Yep, Stephanie Willard on Facebook, W-O-O-L-A-R-D, which is probably up there, but people forget awesome. the L. Now, um, I've got a good question. I don't know whether you're going to be able to answer this, but I imagine almost everything. Well, the question is, what is one quirky fact that most people don't know about you? But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There are so many things about you. Oh. Can, can you even think of anything? I'm not sure if it's quirky, but I have a very, very deep love and um, uh, you know, for Ireland and everything Irish. My granny was Irish, and um, the Irish music just kind of 
gets you know yeah, touches fantastic. the spirit you know it makes me uh, i just love anything anything irish is very soul nourishing for me so i've spent a lot of time over in ireland Wow. Can I just tell you something that'll probably blow your mind in terms of people coming together in energy? I was born in Ireland. I was married and christened in Ireland. All my family is over there and I've been there a gazillion times as well. Oh, amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Isn't that funny? So good. Um, Now, look, at the very end, I always ask these things because I'm obsessed with my own phone. But people, you, you know, if you're not a big phone person, it's fine to say you don't. But... Are there a couple of apps that you use on your phone that you think are pretty useful that you want to share or are you not really a phone user? Um, I have recently downloaded, I don't really have have that many apps to be honest, but I've recently um, downloaded, and this might shock some people, but um, (laughs) it's, it's something that I started actually delving into because at various times in my life I've um, been seeking to understand it a little bit more, but it hasn't been accessible to me because of the the language has been quite difficult to understand. But um, I was given a a Bible from a friend actually who's a pastor, and um, I wouldn't call myself religious. I think there's a lot of different um, you know skeptical stuff that comes with that. Um, and so yeah, I, I, a friend told me about um, a Bible app actually. So that's an app that I've got on my phone and it speaks plain English and um yeah I feel like I've kind of discovered it for the first time and it's it's that direct connection I think that is super powerful for people and the words in the Bible for me and I think for many others um you know hold a special energy and it's it's like a, a guide yeah they're a guide they're a sort of yeah a guide for our lives I guess a guide for our lives, yeah. and more and less in various other people's lives but I mean even intellectually they are a guide for how you could live your best life and how to avoid making some terrible mistakes other than the odd story about someone who lives to eight or nine hundred and you kind of go mm, I don't think that's <laughs> probably true <laughs> yeah Uh, Well, look, Steph, it has just been fantastic to do this interview with you. Thank you so much. You've really inspired me. I've got a few ideas I'll talk to you about afterwards. But um, thank you very much. Thanks so much for the opportunity. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'sthebossscomau and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. Listener.